0: Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message.
1: Let's uh, jump into our Bible study this morning. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Second Peter, Second Peter in the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along, and keep track with us. Hopefully you picked up the sermon notes as well. We have them available on the tables as well as in the bookstore kiosk there on your way in Um, every Sunday if you want to just pick one of those up. We do also have them electronically online. You can look at them uh, on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, But these are just resources for you to stay connected uh, with our study. We have some of it up on the screen, but you can fill in the blanks and just jot things down as the Lord speaks to you. But it um, really is a privilege and, and an honor to jump into God's Word to study God's Word uh, with you uh, this morning, as we continue a uh, series and a study through the book of First and Second Peter. I should say books. So Peter's letters, First and Second Peter, uh, and uh, his encouragement to churches. If you have to go back to some of our studies early on in First Peter, looking at uh, Peter addressing uh, various churches. Most of the New Testament letters. Uh, are written to very specific locations and very specific churches but 1st and 2nd Peter were written to multiple churches who were scattered throughout Peter calls the Christians in the regions that he was writing to pilgrims and sojourners they uh, were dispersed and scattered because of persecution and hardship and trial and yet Peter is encouraging uh, the churches to stand firm. That's kind of the theme that we've been focusing on, to stand firm upon the salvation that Jesus has uh, secured for us through the power of his resurrection, uh, to stand firm when we're going through trials and difficulties and hardships, and uh, we can have the assurance that he's with us no matter what we go through, uh, to stand firm in our faith. In fact, First Peter dealt a lot with those trials and tribulations and persecutions and hardships. And in 2 Peter, uh, Peter's going to shift his focus a little bit and talk about standing firm upon the truth that is recorded for us in God's Word. Um, And he's going to talk about how there are false teachers and false doctrine that are potentially uh, uh, impacting the church during his writing, but would also come after his death. In fact, most scholars believe that during the writing of Second Peter, that Peter is in his seventies, uh, so he's l- older in life. But he's also writing from a uh, from a Roman prison, and so he's in a prison cell. And he's later on in life, and he's encouraging the church. Really, a kind of a dead man walking. He's he's looking at his 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 life and and the end of his life in fact if you look uh back at um john chapter 21 you can see where jesus was having a conversation with peter after he had denied jesus three times and um and and jesus encourages him he says do you love me peter he says of course you know i love you so he gives him a, a a mission he gives him some work to do well feed my sheep and tend to my lambs and so he's continuing to minister in the church but uh Jesus goes on to talk about the manner in which Peter was going to die. And I think that's a pretty fascinating conversation. I don't know if you, how you would handle that conversation with Jesus. If he were to tell you how you're going to die and how many, how many years you have left, I think just on a practical level, that would give us a focus and a priority on life. I mean, the, t- the clock is ticking and to really prioritize the things that are in our lives because we know when when the end is coming. So Peter's actually gonna reference that in this letter, as particularly in, in chapter one. And uh, so as we are 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 moving into Second Peter, we wanna begin by looking at this greeting that Peter gives to the faithful Christians who are are growing in the Lord and gathering. As the church. And so we're going to be looking at uh, uh, chapter 1 today. And the point that we want to remember today is that faithfulness to the Lord leads to fruitfulness in life. Faithfulness to the Lord. As we devote ourselves to Him, as we trust Him. One of the cool things about faithfulness is that God is faithful. Even though, as the scripture says, when when, when we're not faithful to God, He's faithful to us. And there's uh, another verse that talks about there's one thing that's required of somebody who is a follower of God, someone who's, who follows Jesus, that we would be found faithful. There's one thing. And if we could just focus in on being faithful, and devoted to the Lord, then what happens is, is that there's a, a reproduction in our lives of fruitfulness. And the idea, idea there is, is of a tree that's planted uh, by streams of water or, or in good soil. And then over time, it, it, it bears fruit. It's productive. And the same spiritual analogy is true of our lives when we're rooted in the Lord when we're rooted in his word when we're growing in faithfulness to him then there's an effectiveness and a productivity of our lives and so we're going to see uh, Peter expand on that as we study through these verses but uh, we're going to see it in four simple ways just a very very simple outline first is we're going to see Peter greet the faithful secondly we're going to see Peter guarantee fruitfulness in our lives as we grow in godliness Third, we're gonna see Peter urge a, a careful consideration to his teaching and his words, especially since he's seeing his life come to an end. And then lastly, we're gonna see Peter give a, a truthful testimony, not only to what he has seen, but also to the source of truth found in, in scripture. So uh, picking up our study, looking in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse one, we read, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I think those words are, are, are interesting if you just kind of break them down individually because if you remember Peter's story, you know that before he was Peter, he was Simon. In fact, Simon is his birth name. And so he was given that name just throughout his entire life. He grew up as Simon. The, the name Simon means to hearken or to listen. And so uh, when he met Jesus, though, and he started following Jesus, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means uh, stone or pebble or rock, and I I find it interesting that here he is uh, referencing himself as his former identity, basically remembering from where he came from, Uh, just remembering the life that he lived before Jesus, but now the change that takes place after his name is changed. He's Peter now. And uh, so I think that's an encouragement for us to remember that when, when God comes into our lives, there's change that takes place. And Peter is saying, you know, I used to be Simon, and uh, now I'm Peter, and yet notice what he also says. He talks about himself in a couple of terms. He uses the word bondservant and apostle, and I love the order of those words. First, he says bondservant. Now, bondservant is a free will slave. It's somebody who has chosen to be a slave to a master. Paul the Apostle uses that term. Various other apostles in the New Testament use that term to indicate that they are free will servants and slaves of the Master, Jesus Christ. And uh, I just love this because Peter continues to encourage us in humility, even though he was uh, arguably the the most powerful and and influential church leader at the time. And yet he identifies himself as a bondservant. And in the previous chapter... uh, at, um, at at the end of First uh, Peter, in First in Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter encourages the church and as well as us to humble ourselves. That we should humble ourselves before the Lord because he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So Peter is continuing on in this sense of humility but also as an apostle. And so not only is he serving the Lord but he's been given a mission. He's been given a purpose and he identifies that. So he he, he has this uh, he strikes a balance of humility, but also in dignity in the sense of his calling and ministry. What he was before is Simon, and what he is now new in Jesus Christ is Peter. So he introduces himself as the author of this letter, and he goes on to say, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Everyone say precious. Like precious faith. Those are interesting. That's an interesting phrase there. As well as the word obtained, And to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's greeting those who have obtained. The the idea there is that it's something that we haven't earned or or deserved. It's the idea of imputing something uh, to someone who hasn't earned it or deserved it. And the, the idea there is... Of This faith that Peter mentions and there's I mean you could talk a lot about faith faith is trusting God faith is believing God But in the context of what he's writing here in this opening chapter He's talking about faith unto salvation the idea of um, the salvation work of Jesus Christ in our lives The Bible says it's by grace through faith that you've been saved and it's not of works lest anyone should boast and so um, Peter is indicating that the faith that we have received as far as the salvation that we've received is precious. And notice he says, like precious faith. He's identifying himself with the faith and the salvation that he has received, that all Christians receive. Basically, Peter is saying that there's no first or second class Christians in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying we're all part of the same precious salvation faith that God has given to us. And we have obtained it. He's given it to us, not that we have deserved it or we have earned it. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace obviously follows uh, the obtaining of salvation in the Lord. Grace is his unmerited favor. Peace is just the sense of his presence in our lives going through Circumstances that are so um, difficult and challenging. And, you know, the Bible says that, um, you know, we should be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present our requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I just hold on to that promise because there's so many times where just the week or just life or, you know, just it can be crazy and chaotic. And the peace of God allows me to just to be settled in whatever circumstance I'm going through. It's his peace. Who needs God's peace today? You wanna be honest and raise your hand? Oh, okay, we're all honest, there you go. Yes, it's it's God's peace. And we can't experience the peace of God until we've experienced his grace. His grace just flowing upon us because of Jesus' work, the knowledge of God. Now, knowledge is not only information, but the idea here, in fact, the word knowledge is gonna be used multiple times in chapter one. And it's not about obtaining information because you remember Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees in the Gospels. He said, you guys know all the scriptures. You know all the chapter and verse. But even though you know the information, it has not produced transformation in your life. And you could know everything about where you could find in verse in the Bible, and you could, mem- you could quote things about the Bible, but if it's not being applied, if it's not changing, if it's not transforming us, if it's not uh, being lived out in our lives, then we could be just like the Pharisees, as Jesus says you're hypocrites, just on the outward, looking holy, but not being changed. And so the idea of this knowledge is not only information, but it is relationship. It is closeness. It is intimacy with God. Because of the knowledge, that knowledge has brought us close to him. And it's being multiplied to us. There's just so much. We've only covered two verses. All right. Well, here we go. I love it. I love just breaking down and just reading through and just studying the scriptures together. It's just really enriching. And in fact, Peter's going to go on to say that at the end of his life, while he's looking at his deathbed, he says, I'm not going to neglect to remind you of these things. It's so good to have these reminders. Verse 3 says, continuing on in that sentence, as his divine power has given to us all things, how many things? All things pertaining to life and godliness through once again the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Everyone say power. So first we had precious faith. Now we have the power of God. We have been given the divine power of God in our lives, pertaining to life. Everything that is related to your life. Just think about. It. I mean, all the relationships, all the responsibilities, all the finances. Uh, you know, relationship with your spouse, home life, just the stresses, the the ups, the downs, the the victories and the failures, just everything pertaining to your life, God has given you the power to be fruitful, to be effective, to be overcomers, to have godliness in our lives. Pertaining to everything in our lives, His divine power has been granted to you. And sometimes we say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. Or, oh, that's that's just me. Or, oh, I've tried changing, but uh, you know, I guess I'm just gonna have to deal with it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says here that we have everything of divine power so that we can live the abundant life that Jesus Christ has come to give us abundant life, powerful life, victorious life, meaningful, significant, important, impactful lives pertaining to everything that is going on. So, whatever stress you're dealing with, Jesus has given you the power to have peace in the midst of the storm. Whatever responsibility you have that's over your head, Jesus has given you the power to accomplish those things. But not only just in the physical world, but also in the spiritual world. The spiritual sense of our relationship, godliness, growing in God-likeness and character. That's his desire. That's his purpose. That's his goal in our lives. Because faith, uh, saving faith may be the starting point, but it's not the finish line, right? It's not, okay, well, I, I'm safe, so now I just go and do whatever I'm going to do, or now it's over, and I'm set, and I'm safe. No, salvation in the Lord is the starting point, because Peter goes on to say that we should add certain things to us. Pertaining to life and godliness, God has given you and I every power, His power, To accomplish his purpose in our lives. To which, verse 4, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Now everyone say promise. There's three Ps right there in the first three, four verses. It's precious, it's powerful, and it is a promise. Listen, if somebody has made you a promise and broken the promise to you, then you're not going to be trusting of other people. You're going to be a little bit distant from them. You're going to say, well, let me just wait and see if this really pans out. But I'll tell you what, every single promise that God has made to you in his word, he has kept. And every promise that he will make to you are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He will never break his promise because with God's promises, they are covenants to you. And he cannot neglect his own. He cannot lie and he cannot turn back. He will keep those promises. And these are exceedingly and precious promises. There's two promises that are mentioned here in verse 4. And one is... That through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. And then secondly, having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. So the two promises are that we have the divine nature given to us. And that divine nature is the resurrected eternal life, victory over death, powerful living that Jesus accomplished that he also gives to you and I. We have the divine nature and the divine work and the divine power to overcome spiritual death, but also to overcome the corruption that is in the world. So the power of sin, the power of, uh, of corruption over our lives, the power to resist the flesh. The uh, Notice the words here, cor- corruption and lust. The sensual death that is because of the flesh, the promises and the power and the precious faith of salvation has given us victory pertaining to everything in in our lives so that we no longer have to live according to the flesh but are made alive in the spirit. That's powerful. Now that's just in his opening verses here. That Peter greets the faithful here, uh, followers of Jesus with this precious promise. He says that salvation comes purely from God's graciousness, not our personal worthiness, because we have obtained it. Not in our own worthiness, but in God's graciousness. He's extended that to us. And because of this, there is nothing lacking in our lives to sustain you and I in everything necessary for life. Everything that deals with our lives, there is nothing lacking. And... There is the promise, and that promise is that we have participation in eternal life as well as protection from the sensual death and sin that uh, affects us all. And she's saying, or he's saying, amen. I love that. Yes. So, here is the introduction to Peter's second letter. But he goes on to say in verse 5, he guarantees some fruitfulness in our lives. Notice he says, but... Also for this very reason. What reason? The reason that he just explained. The power and the promise and the precious salvation that has been given to us because of God's grace. Also for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. The virtue, knowledge. He's going to list a couple of things here. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, love. Notice he uses a couple words here. Diligence and add. The idea there is that we make maximum effort. There's a the participation on our part. Now, faith alone saves, but saving faith is not alone. Peter, uh, excuse me, uh, James says that in his epistle. Faith without works is dead. There's a, there's a change and a transformation. There's a sanctification. There's a difference that is being produced in our lives through the character that's being molded and shaped in the image of Jesus. And so the idea of diligence is to make maximum effort in something. When was the last time you, you gave maximum effort towards something? Maybe it's the Super Bowl party that's coming. that you're, You put all the maximum effort into those treats. Into the decorations, into the big television, because you told your wife you needed to get that new television. Big one, 85. I don't know, maybe they got hundreds now. Big ones. Make maximum effort. That's just a silly example. Making maximum effort in something? That means we're just so focused, we're diligent, we're, that we're prioritizing the significance and the importance of something. And Peter is saying to be diligent as followers of Jesus is to make maximum effort of adding to. The idea is to heap up in our lives, to overflow in. And he says that we should heap up and overflow and make maximum effort towards adding to faith. Faith is the starting point, but there's virtue. The idea of virtue is excellence. It's um, heroic deeds that lead to excellence. So, Maybe we make maximum effort in our work, and that's good. We give maximum effort in our marriage, and that's needed. We give maximum effort in parenting or in our finances or in our responsibilities. But when was the last time you made maximum effort in your spiritual growth and your spiritual walk with the Lord? And you prioritize that to add to the faith that you placed in Jesus Christ and the salvation that he, he gave you in making you new and being born again. And you said, I want to grow in virtue. I want to I be excellent in the way that I live my life and in my character before the Lord. He says, add to faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. Again, not just information, but relationship with God. And that relationship starts through the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God is found in the Word of God. So as we become more aware of God, then we grow closer to Him. Add to knowledge self-control. Add to self-control perseverance. So there's patience and godliness, likeness. These are uh, examples of the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit... Enables us and empowers us in these qualities. But Peter is saying that there's a participation. There's an idea of getting into the spiritual gym. It means lifting, doing the heavy lifting, making maximum effort, putting in the, uh, um, exerting energy and effort. Not to earn salvation, but to grow in Christ. And we get into that gym, spiritually speaking. Adding to the characteristics... Of a life that is formed by godliness. Now, when you do, Peter says there's a couple of things that, that take place. Verse 8. For if these things are yours and you abound in them, I sure hope I'm I'm self-controlled, but I know that I'm still abound, I, I I'm not abounding in it. I need to grow in it. I need to add an increase in self-control and in patience, in excellence to the Lord. But if these things are yours and you abound in them, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that you're going to be fruitful. There's going to be something that's produced in your lives. And for this reason, verse 9, for he or she who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Wow, that's interesting. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter gives a contrast between those who are not living uh, and not adding and not growing in these characteristics with those who are. And he says that we should make our election sure for we shall never stumble. Now that's uh, kind of a challenging phrase for me because I know I stumble all the time. Not just stubbing my toe in the middle of the night on the edge of my bed and it hurts like crazy, uh, but it's just stumbling in life, making errors when I uh, when I'm following God. So the idea is that Peter's saying, when when he says that you will never stumble, he does not mean that you won't sin or that you won't make mistakes. He's saying that we will be able to stand firm with great security and assurance. Upon the salvation that has been secured to us by Jesus Christ. So that's the idea what Peter is saying that you'll never stumble. So when we fail and when we sin, then we're not thinking, oh boy, I lost my salvation. Oh boy, God doesn't love me anymore. Oh man, I'm so far from God. Oh, he's mad at me and he's not gonna talk to me for a while. No, there's an assurance and a security in the salvation as we grow in these godly characters and virtues that allows us to stand firm upon the salvation work of Jesus Christ that has been accomplished for us. And there is neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor failures, nor excuses, nor mistakes that we could make that could ever separate us from that. That means walking through life with the power of God for everything that is necessary for living an effective life for Jesus Christ and standing firm upon his truth, upon his salvation. I am a child of God. Praise the Lord. It blows my mind that I can even say that. It blows my mind that I can even have that assurance. But the promises that God gives to us right here are secure. They're firm and they are established. He says that when you walk, when you make maximum effort to maintain spiritual devotion to God, then you will have an abundant life in Christ. That you add these things, there is an increasing increasing in these godly virtues leads to what Peter says, two things. One is an effective life as well as a productive life, standing firm upon the assurances of the Lord. So he's talked about faithfulness. He's talked about fruitfulness. And now he's gonna talk about being careful to consider these reminders. Look with me in verse 12. Peter says, for this reason, what reason? Everything he said before. For the reason of his power. For the reason of his promise. For the reason of growing and maturing in Christ. For the reason of standing firm upon our salvation. For this reason, for all of these reasons, I will not neglect to remind you always of these things. Everyone say remind. 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 We need reminders so much because I think we always forget. We forget so much. Now, Peter says, I'm not going to neglect these things. I'm not going to fail in my duties. I'm not going to be careless to tell you the important things regarding to life and godliness. For this reason, I'm going to always remind you of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. That's pretty interesting. He's talking to people who already know the Bible. He's talking to people who already know the truth. He's talking to people who have heard hundreds of different sermons, who have read all the stories, who know the truth, who know the the scriptures, and yet he comes back around and says, I'm not going to stop reminding you. That's powerful. That's important. We need reminders. The repetition of truth prevents the reproduction of doubt in our lives. And I love when I'm, um, um, you know, after service, or maybe somebody might say to me, you know, thank you so much for that reminder. I said, yeah, that's really great. And so, you know, God is constantly speaking to us and reminding us because we forget these things, but Peter is giving a reminder to those who already know these things. So the idea is, is that even though we may have heard a sermon on these verses, even though we may have read The verses before, God has fresh insights and encouragement and comfort for you and I as we read God's word and as we're reminded of his truth. We should never get to the place where we think a reminder in the scriptures is something that I've already had before. That's the love of God in our lives. Reminding us of these truths. Even though we are established in these truths, Peter says, I'm not going to neglect them. Yes, verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you of these things. So apparently, Peter loved to go camping. I don't know what that's all about. No, just kidding. The word tent is kind of an analogy or metaphor for the physical body, our physical tent. And uh, Peter is saying, though, while I'm alive... I'm going to stir you up. You see, the reminders of God in the scriptures, his truth, those reminders should do something. They shouldn't just go in one ear and out the other. They shouldn't just be, oh, that was great, and then just move on. They should stir us up. And when you stir something up, it causes excitement, it causes interest. It causes you to lean in. It causes you to apply those things that God is stirring up in our lives. It should cause us to consider what the Lord is speaking to us about. To stir us up by way of reminder. While I'm alive, Peter says, I'm going to remind you and stir you up towards these things. Knowing that, shortly, I must put off the tent. Meaning, in just a little while, I'm going to die just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. You can go back. You could write this in your notes. I think I have it in the sermon notes. John chapter 21, uh, verse 19, where I mentioned earlier on where Jesus has a conversation with Peter and talks about the manner in which Peter was to die. He's, he, he, he's, he's thinking about the context of his life and the end of his life and the significance and the importance of the words that he is going to pass on to other people. What is he going to give? And he's telling them of these truths. Knowing that I must put off this tent and die, just as our Lord showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after. Notice, after my decease. After I am dead. Notice, in these verses, Peter greatly urges a careful consideration of the teachings, not only his teaching, but of Jesus' words, the word of God, the reminder. And Peter is bringing this repetition of truth to encourage them, to stir them up. It, it really is, in many ways, a, a last will and testament. The last words that Peter is going to speak, he's focused in on reminding and encouraging the church to stay focused on the Lord. And this legacy that he is leaving behind, it really comes from an urgency in the moment maybe another way you could say that is every single one of us can leave something behind we don't know the hour we don't know the time we don't know when we're going to give up this tent when we're going to decease where we're going to pass where we're going to leave this earth but our lives in christ carries on long after we're gone what do i mean by that the impact of our lives Our words, the way that we lived our lives, the focus of our lives, that carries on long after we're gone. And Peter is saying, when I'm gone, I want you to remember something. Remember the truth. Remember the precious promises of God. Remember that you have been given everything in the power of God to live effectively and productively for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the urgency of the time and be reminded of the truth, constantly going back. Allow your soul and your spirit to be stirred up in godliness, to put in the spiritual work at the gym every single day as you lift the Bible, as you bend the knee in prayer, as you seek God in fellowship so that you can add and increase and increase. And grow in the things that God has already given you it's kind of like if you were to go to a gym you see all of this equipment and you walk in and you say huh I wonder what I'm gonna do today I don't know how to use that I don't know how to use that and you walk out not doing anything the idea is that God has lined up all pieces in the spiritual gym for you and I and we could go in and say oh that's too hard that's too heavy I can't do that I can't bend like that nah, my back's kind of bad and we don't pick up and we don't use and we don't add and we don't increase and we don't grow in the things that God has already said, here they are. I've given them to you. Lift them, grow in them, maximize in them through his power. It's a careful consideration of the reminders of God's truth. And then lastly, we'll just close with this. Peter gives a testimony of his eyewitness account of the truth of Jesus. Notice he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cunning, uh, c- cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now the cunning fables is an, introdu- uh, an introduction to some of the false teaching and doctrines that uh, Peter was addressing. One is that uh, Jesus had already returned, or two is that he's never returned returning and so Peter is going to address the, um, the source of the truth that he has already taught them because he says I was an eyewitness I love the first verse of uh, John first um, John chapter 1 um, another disciple and fo- apostle of, of Jesus there was Peter James and John and these individuals were uh, eyewitnesses to some of the most awesome accounts of Jesus' miracles and of his ministry and of his resurrection and of his ascension. And John says in, in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, this life, the word of life, Jesus Christ, we have seen, we have handled. And when you have somebody who is an eyewitness to the events then there's a lot of credence to what they're saying. You listen to them. You've, they were there. They've seen it. They've touched it. They've, they've handled it. And Peter's saying, I was an eyewitness. I experienced Jesus' miracles. He walked on water. I'd like to hear that story. He experienced the, the transfiguration of Jesus when he was up on the mountain and he called just Peter's J- James, and John. And he was transfigured, his, his physical appearance, into the glory of God. He experienced the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And he experienced all of these things. Preaching the gospel and seeing 3,000 people get saved, being thrown in prison, being persecuted for his faith, eyewitnesses to the majesty, which is a reference to the transfiguration. For in verse 17, he received, for he received, that is Jesus, from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's two references where we hear the voice of heaven. One is in Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved son. But also in his transfiguration. And that was a point where the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's saying, I've seen and I've heard. And we heard this voice which came, verse 18, from heaven. When we were with him on the holy mountain, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So what is Peter talking about here? We're just going to close with this. He's talking about experience, but he's also talking about Scripture. And he's dealing with the eyewitness accounts that he has that he sees. He sees the miracles and the power of Jesus. And the best way for you and I to verify truth is to see it for ourselves. When you've been there, when you've experienced it, then you know, man, that's true. I know it. But he also says, I heard a voice. And this glory that Peter saw in the transfiguration of Jesus, it was a preview of the majesty that would be Jesus's upon his return. However, then he transitions into this very interesting phrase in verse 19. He says, And so, after talking about his experience, and so we have this prophetic word confirmed. Some of your translations might say, A more sure word. What's Peter saying? He's saying, even though I have experience in handling the truth, there is nothing like the truth that is revealed in the prophetic word of Scripture. So he's saying that Scripture is more powerful than that type of experience. Peter ranks Scripture over his experience. He says that the Scripture that is defined here is more complete. It's more permanent, it's more authoritative, and it's more reliable, even though he experienced it in his own life. And why do we know that? Because Scripture is not, does not come from the origin or the source of man, but through the inspiration of the, Holy, uh, of the Holy Spirit. He says that there is no prophecy of Scripture, a private interpretation, for Scripture has come by the will, not by the will of men, but by... Whole, uh, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is very important because uh, Peter identifies for us the source of Scripture and the source of truth that we can stand firm upon through the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the author, is the originator, is the producer, as well as the interpreter of Scripture. That means that the Bible is inspired. The idea is that it's God-breathed. God has breathed into the scriptures his life and his truth. It's also inerrant, meaning that it is without error, that God's word contains no errors because it it comes from the source of the Holy Spirit, part of the trinity of God. God cannot lie and there are no errors in God. So it's inspired, it's inerrant, but it's also infallible in the idea that it is trustworthy, completely trustworthy. Peter says, That even though you might experience God, that is a powerful reminder of his truth. But there is nothing like experiencing God through the power of his word. We have a more sure word, authoritative and complete, reliable as we trust him. So Peter says, in conclusion, that you and I can see and hear God when we touch his word, when we open his word, when we handle his word. See, Peter saw and heard God when he was up on the mountain, but you and I can see and hear God when we open God's word. So we're going to have our worship team come up and lead us in a closing song, but stay with me here because I think there's some takeaways for us to consider in these opening verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're encouraged to stand firm and faithful, to grow in our relationship with the Lord to be rooted and grounded upon his promises and his power, to be diligent to add, make maximum effort. One encouragement is to stand firm upon God's promises, that he would strengthen you in all things because he's provided for you everything that pertains to life. The second thing is to set our hearts and our focus and our priority towards spiritual growth and godly character. Take a look at these virtues and qualities over this coming week and ask the lord to to grow and decrease to in, increase in your life virtue and faith and spiritual discernment and patience where are areas of our lives deficient or lacking and how can god increase them in in us and then lastly is to seek god's wisdom and truth and guidance through his word you see experiences are going to pass they're going to fade And oftentimes, experiences are are full of emotion. And experiences are great. They're they're very informative. They can lead us to truth. But experiences in and of themselves, those are going to fade away. But God's word will never fade away. And it is the source of truth, the Holy Spirit, God-breathed, inspired, inerrant, without errors, and trustworthy in all things pertaining to life and godliness. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's powerful, it's true. We thank you for Peter's example. I just think about this man on his deathbed looking at the last moments and words that he can pass on. And he encourages the Christians to focus in on you, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to live with this urgency in our lives today. That the legacy that we leave behind is one in which lives long after we're gone. Because it impacts our kids. Christ. It impacts our, our grandkids for Christ. It impacts future generations for Christ. So I pray for these precious people here. Help us, Lord. We need, we need your help. We need your strength to be able to grow, to grow in you. Thank you for your grace and your love. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.